Okay, we are in Matthew chapter 11, starting from verse 1. Matthew 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving instruction to His twelve disciples, He departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John... Now... Now when John, while imprisoned, heard the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples, and he said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the poor, uh, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Okay, in verse 1, it says Jesus had finished giving his instruction to his twelve disciples, and we covered that last time and the last two times about Jesus giving instructions in sending out his twelve disciples. And then it says at this point in time in verse 2, John was still imprisoned. And what got John into prison, as we we know from Matthew chapter 14, is John had told King Herod. Now, Herod was a a king over that area. He was a king that was under the emperor Caesar. In fact, Herod had asked Caesar for that title, and Caesar had granted him that title. And and Herod had his, his, his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. So... He had taken the wife from his brother. And John kept confronting him with that, and so he had John imprisoned. So here was John, a great prophet who had gone before Jesus announcing his coming, and was now imprisoned. And while John is sitting in prison, he begins to doubt whether Jesus is really the Messiah. Here John had been sent as one who went before Jesus, and now he was beginning to doubt as he was sitting in prison. And he says, he sent word by his disciples, he says, are you really the expected one? Are you the Messiah who was to come? Are we supposed to look for someone else? And Jesus' reply is, you go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard. And here's what he lists out. He says, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. He said, what you see here is the sign of the Messiah. These are the things that the Scriptures taught the Messiah would do, and these are also the things that were taught by the rabbis that would be done. And the rabbis said that only the Messiah would heal a blind man that had been blind since birth. Only the Messiah would be able to cleanse a leper, to have a leper be healed, because never in Israel had a Jewish leper been healed since the completion of the law. Naaman was not a Jew. Uh, uh, and and uh, when, when, um, when Moses' sister had been healed, Moses' sister was, was, um, was healed before the law was completed. And, and then the last thing was, so, so it was healing a, a man that was born blind, healing a leper, and then the third thing was that the, only the Messiah would be able to do was to take a man who was dumb, who couldn't speak, and had a demon and cast that demon out. 
So Jesus talks about each one of these things in, in, in the deaf hearing as well. And being able to do this sort of thing, these are what I'm doing. These are the signs of the Messiah. You look at these signs and you will be able to see, he tells John. Look at these signs and you will be able to see. And this is what he begins to cover for them. And then he says, once you tell John this, tell him one other thing. He says, tell him, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Some scriptures say, blessed is he who does not stumble over me. And this is really important to take hold of. Because very often things happen in our life that we don't understand. And the common cry is, God, if you are really there, how can you let this happen? And Jesus says, blessed is he who does not stumble over me, who does not take offense at me. There are things that happen in our lives that we don't understand. Things that often have nothing to do with our own sin, with our own ways. So, for example, you have a child, and that child might become sick and die. That has nothing to do with a particular sin in our life most often. It has to do simply with something that God has willed. Or that something that God has allowed to happen. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. John is sitting in prison. John had this dynamic ministry. And he was totally sold out for God. Masses of people had come to John for baptism. It wasn't just a few. Masses of people had been baptized by John. And even many of the rulers had gone into John's baptism. John was a powerful preacher. Absolutely uncompromising in what he said and did. And it is very easy when we witness and when we serve God to look back at God and to say, God, why have you allowed this to happen? Wasn't I witnessing? Wasn't I sharing? Wasn't I trying to read my Bible every morning and seek your face? And now look what's happened. I've become ill. I've gotten cancer. This has happened. My mother's died. My father's died. My brother's died. All these things can happen. And it has nothing in particular to do with our sin. And there is a common feeling to get upset with God, knowing that if God had wanted to, He could have prevented that. Theologically, we all have that sense that if God had wanted to, He could well have prevented that. But He doesn't. He doesn't prevent it. And these things happen at times. And He says, Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Because God sees very differently than you and I see. He lives outside of space and time. Meaning that He sees the beginning and the end. He sees the future all at once. Everything is there before Him. And if we saw from that perspective, if we saw the end and the beginning, everything at the same time, we would have a very different response. Jesus said, He who lives and believes in Me shall live even if He dies. And he who believes in Me shall never die. Jesus said that. Jesus said, He who lives and believes in Me, shall live even if he dies. And he who believes in Me, shall never die. If you think about Jesus' perspective, that he knows 
that we, if we are in Him, we will live forever. And that when a person's flesh dies, it's not the end. I've told my kids, I said, you know, one day you may well bury me in the ground, but remember, I'm not there. You may bury my body, but I won't be there. I'll be very much with God. We're very much alive when we perish in Him. It's not an eternal perishing. Our body may die, but we live in Him. And when Jesus sees this from this perspective, He can say things like this. So you see, God's perspective is very different. And the words that I'm telling you will just be drilled right home to you when someone who's very dear to you is on their deathbed. You remember these words that Jesus said in John chapter 11 and John chapter 14, that he who lives and believes in me shall live even if he dies. And when Jesus sees from this perspective, he can say, blessed is he who doesn't take offense at me. Remember, we are not to get angry and bitter with God when we see things that hurt us. Because God sees from a different perspective. There are many things that happen in our life that have nothing to do with our sin in particular. And God deals with us. Now, there are things that sin can bring on, but there's a lot of things that come at us that have nothing to do with our sin. In fact, they have to do with our service to God. Look in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, for example. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14, it says, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, or a thief, or evildoer, or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. You see, he says that suffering can come just absolutely for being a Christian. For walking out the things of Christ, suffering can come. And he says, if this happens, rejoice. He says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And very often when we start sharing Christ with others, we have our feelings hurt and our feelings get wounded. And people will say things and people say, well, just, this is a, religion is a personal thing. Just leave me alone. Oh, I'm sorry. Didn't mean to hurt you. And and, and we get all wounded inside. And it's a tendency to get upset with God. God, look what you've done. Here I just tried to share in your name, and I've offended this person, and in fact, I've driven them further from you. Trust me, you haven't driven them further from Christ. You really haven't. You've just brought before them what needs to be brought before them. You haven't driven them further from the Lord. It's really hard to do that. Really hard. You'd have to try really hard to drive someone away from God. He says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. So in those very moments, he says, look at it from a different perspective. You're blessed in that. You are blessed. Okay, turning back to Matthew, chapter 11, verse 6. He says, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. When something happens in your life, that doesn't make any sense. 
and God seems as if He's being so mean and so cruel, you remember this verse. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. God has His way of working and His way of moving. And believe me, in your life, people will die. People around you will die. One day you will get sick and die. This is just a part of life. This is a part of the world in which we live. And remember, don't take offense at God. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Because he knows that if someone is in Christ, they live forever. And God is really into optimizing people's chances of coming to him. You say, well, this person didn't have that experience. Knowing God's character, He puts people in situations that optimize their chances of knowing Him. Verse 7, Matthew 11, verse 7. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of woman, there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah, who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Before the coming of the Messiah and the Messianic kingdom, before the coming of the Messianic kingdom, there was to be the coming of Elijah. Had Jesus been received in his generation, had he been received, he would have set up the Messianic kingdom at that time. And John would have fulfilled the role of Elijah coming before the setting up of the Messianic kingdom. But because Jesus was not accepted at that time, he never established the Messianic kingdom. That is yet to come. Jesus is not reigning as Messiah from Jerusalem. He's not reigning as king from Jerusalem. So that means that Elijah will come again. That there will be another Elijah-like coming. John would have fulfilled this purpose because Jesus is coming yet again to set up the Messianic kingdom. And in that time, he will be received by his people. There will be another coming of an Elijah to be the one bearing this forth. And we see that in the book of Revelation, actually. Right now, we're living in what's called the mystery kingdom. And this is what, it, what it's talked about in the New Testament. Because Jesus was rejected. He never established the Messianic kingdom. And this is why a lot of times people have trouble with the prophecies in the book of Isaiah. Because you will see in the very same line of prophecy, you will see a line concerning His first coming, another line concerning His second coming. The second coming lines have not yet been fulfilled. The first coming lines have well been fulfilled. For example, a child has been born to us, a son has been given, but he is not reigning yet as king from Jerusalem. But John would have fulfilled that role had Jesus been accepted. And then he begins to talk about John. He says, you know, 
of all the men who have ever been born of woman, John the Baptist is the greatest. You want to know who the greatest man was who was ever born? Jesus said it was John the Baptist. He says, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven, in verse 11, in verse 11 is greater than he. Meaning that what we are in the spirit of the kingdom of God makes us far greater than what we are in the flesh. I am from a Jewish background, and sometimes Christians that meet me say, Oh, you're a Jew? Let me touch you. I mean, as if there's something there. But there really is nothing there. Really is nothing. Because Jesus said, John the Baptist was the greatest man who was ever born of woman. But he who was least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The very least in the kingdom of heaven. What we are in the Spirit is far greater than what we are in the flesh. Far greater. What you are in the power of God and in His kingdom will always supersede what you are in the flesh. Be a better person in the kingdom. Make that as your goal. Who am I in the kingdom of God? How do I serve Him? How do I honor Him? If we would invest but a fraction of in our spiritual lives that we invest in our careers, we would be far better off. Because so many times young people want to invest so much money and time and energy and effort in their careers and neglecting the kingdom of God. Not realizing that what you are in the kingdom of God supersedes what you are in the flesh. So to be a doctor or a lawyer or a professor is not the end and should not be the ultimate goal for the believer. It should be to advance ourselves in the kingdom of God through service to Him. It says in verse 12, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, heaven suffers violence, and men of violence take it by force. What on earth is Jesus talking about? I once quoted this to a man. A man came to my office. He, wanted to, he was a Christian man and he wanted to meet with me. And he walked into my office and I said to him, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and men of violence take it by force. And he looked at me. I said, Do you know where I'm quoting from? He said, uh, I don't know, the Book of Mormon? <laughs> and I said, No, that's from the Bible from the Bible. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And men of violence take it by force. Jesus came with his disciples and they took the kingdom of heaven by force. They came preaching and they came dying in order to take this kingdom of heaven. There are things before us as believers that we will take if we step out in the name of God. And if we just sit there and attend church every week and think in some miraculous way it's going to fall on us, we're going to be wrong. We take these things by force. You step out. We cry out, God, save this person. Save their soul. God, save my children. God, work in my children's lives so that they would know you, so that they would honor you. We take this by force and we wrestle with God in prayer over these things. And we pick up the Scriptures every day and we say, God, speak to my heart through this and make me more like Jesus. 
Because you go a few days without this word and you know what happens? Your old self starts to rise up and you look very little like Jesus and you start looking a lot like the flesh that you're made out of. And it's really an ugly sight. And it's obvious to everyone except ourselves and it says ugly right across our foreheads. And our whole attitudes are ugly and people see it. And they say, boy, you are ugly, but we don't see it because we can't see our own foreheads. And it's not until we pick up the Word of God and say, God, make me more like you and make this Word our meditation that there's some substantive difference between us and the people of the world. From the days of John the Baptist until now, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and men of violence take it by force. Those who are willing to step out and grab something and do something. You look at men and women of God who have done mighty things in their lives. They have always wrestled with God in prayer. They have always worked and labored for the kingdom of God in a way that has made them physically tired. When we serve God, it makes us physically tired. It, is, it, it can be wearying to our bodies, wearying to our souls. But God then infuses more and more strength. We must be willing to have our hearts and our lives changed. We have got to be different. And without that, there will be no difference between us and the people of the world. And that's why when you look at church members all around you, you say, you're no different than people out there. And really, they're not. Because God has never been given opportunity to work in their lives. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and men of violence take it by force. There are things that we do. There are things that we step out and do. And you look at great men and women of God. They have stepped out and they have done things. Look in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. You look at the men of faith and what they accomplished. And the women of faith. This chapter. This whole chapter on this thing. In, in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me. If I tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets... Now look at this list of people. They're not all, you know, just the most delightful people in themselves. You've got Gideon. This was a man who doubted God repeatedly and God showed him again and again and then finally it caught on. You look at Barak. Uh, uh, Barak was a man who, who, wouldn't, who wouldn't even go to battle without Deborah and said, you know, you come with me. And Deborah said, you know, I'm not going to... Come with you? I don't. He, he, he says you got to come with me. And finally, Deborah says, "Okay, I'll go." But remember, you won't get the glory. A woman's going to get the glory if I go with you, because here was this prophet Deborah saying, "Go and you'll conquer." And he didn't want to go without the prophet there. He said, "If you really believe this, you'll come with me too." Uh, uh, Samson, you know, Samson had a lot of woman problems. He really did. But it lists him right here as a man of faith of Jephthah. You know, Jephthah made this, this crazy commitment concerning his own daughter uh, of David. Remember, David was a rapist and a murderer of Samuel and the prophets. Now, here's the list of what they did. Who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. 
Look at this list. These are not guys who are just sitting around watching TV and expecting that they're going to do something great for God in their lives. These are men of violence who took things by force. It says, by faith they obtained promises. This word is full of promises. And somehow we think, if I just carry this to church with me on Sunday, I got all the promises. Guess what? That's not a promise. That's a lie. Every promise in the Bible is coupled with some act of obedience. Find me a promise in here that's not coupled with some act of obedience. I'd like to know, because I've searched for those. I've never found it. Every promise of blessing from God is coupled with some act of obedience. Or some act of faith. And so when we do this, it says they obtained promises by faith. It says that, that they conquered kingdoms. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. How do you escape the edge of the sword? In other words, there's got to be a sword coming at you. If all you ever do is you know, sit in your house and keep your mouth shut, there's no swords coming at you. From weakness, they were made strong. They became mighty in war. It is when we are in the battle that we become mighty. You read about great generals. They never became great. They never got a name until there was some great battle. You would never have heard of General Schwarzkopf if it wasn't for the Gulf War. Never. I mean, these generals do their terms and he happened to be the general over the Mideast region at that particular moment. And that's why you heard about him. You never would have heard of Stonewall Jackson if it had not been for the Civil War. It is in war that they become mighty. It is in war that you shine. And if all we ever do is avoid the war, we will never shine for God. It is when we step out and we cry out to God, Lord, do something different with my life. Just as we work so hard with our careers to try to become something, to try to get something in our careers and accomplish something. We've got to be crying out to God, God, do something with my life. And what was the outcome for John? He ended up in prison, and shortly after this, he was beheaded in prison. And that was it. But Jesus says of him, there's never been a greater man than John the Baptist who's been born of woman. And he then also entered the kingdom of heaven. Jesus sees from a very different perspective than we see. There is service to Him that comes by crying out to Him. Do you want to accomplish something great in your life? Do you? What do you want to do? Do you want to be different? Do you want to accomplish something greater? If you want to, you can. But you've got to cry out to God. But if you don't want to, you say, well, you know, status quo is pretty good for me. I just want to go to church and have family and just live and die. Well, good. That's exactly what you'll get. That's exactly what you'll get then. But remember, men of violence take this by force. You allow yourself to get into uncomfortable positions in service to Him. And you will see the glory of God. You will see the things of God. If all we do is settle back and settle for the status quo, we will never see the glory of God. We will never see the things of God doing great things in our life. We will never see the transforming work in the lives of other people through our ministries, through our work of service. We'll never see it unless we desire this and cry out to God for it. And if you don't have that desire and you wonder, how can I have that desire? Let me give you a suggestion. 
Get off your rear end and start fasting for a few days and fall on your knees and pray to God to change your heart. That's a very good way to start. You say, well, that won't work. You give it a try. You just give it a try. You just drink water for three days, no food. Fall on your knees for an hour every day and say, Lord, change my heart because it's cold as a stone. And guess what? You will come out of that time and you will be different. And ask God to give you a love for His Word because as you read His Word, He'll begin to change your heart. And then you have to do this periodically because this coldness and this deadness of heart begins to come in. comes into my life. And I have to go into a season of fasting and prayer and say, God, change my heart. Do something different in my life. And that's the only way it changes. You've got to get serious with God. Men of violence take it by force. It doesn't come any other way. And there's a tendency to grow up in a Christian family and just think, I was born a Christian. And you well know you weren't born a Christian. You can only be born again a Christian. And you can only receive that new life as you give your heart to Him. And the hardest thing, I think it's harder to to come into, into Christian life living in a Christian family because there's this lethargy that sets in. And it's ugly. And it's something like, oh, you know, I deserve this because I grew up in this Christian family and it's just going to fall upon me somehow. It won't. What will fall upon you is sin and wickedness. That's what will fall upon you. And you've got to cry out, God, help me. God, help me because my heart is wicked. Men of violence take this by force. That's what Jesus said. He said, John is sitting there in prison because of his witness. But he is a great man. You think his ministry is over? No. I have called him for that purpose. He prepared the way for me. He did his job. And now I'm promoting him to glory. And this is what we've got to cry out for. God, do something different with my life. Lord, bring other people to God through me. Let me impact their lives for good. The vast majority of believers affect nobody beyond their own immediate little family. The vast majority of believers only affect their own immediate family. But you can be different if you want to be. It is not the devil that holds us back. It really isn't. It is ourselves. We make the decisions. God has given us that opportunity. We make that decision. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 11. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to other children and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance, and we sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. You know, Jesus, Jesus said, this generation is like a bunch of kids, and we played the flute and we tried to get them to dance, but they didn't want to dance. And so what we did is we sang a dirge and they didn't want to mourn. He said, I sent to you John the Baptist. And John the Baptist only ate, only ate locusts and wild honey. He didn't, didn't, uh, didn't drink alcohol. And he said, oh, well, he has a demon. 
says, I came, I drink alcohol, and, and, I, and I eat all sorts of foods, and you say, oh, he's a glutton and a drunkard. He says, no matter what we did, you always had an excuse. You always had an excuse not to come, not to respond, not to take hold. And we see this in our own lives, and we see it today. I'm amazed that in Houston, it is hard for people to get involved in a church because they can't find a church. I mean, you have a choice of about a hundred different kinds of churches in this city. I mean, you got charismatic, you got Pentecostal, you got contemporary services that are really, really contemporary, where your hands, you know, never get lower above the top of your head, and 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 uh, um, you got you got regular contemporary services that that you know even Baptists can feel comfortable with. You've got traditional services. You've got organs. You've got pianos. You got it does anything you want. You got and people can't find a church. Oh, I, I really haven't found a church. It is not the church's problem. Believe me, it's your problem. It is your problem. It is not the church's problem. And if you have somebody that says that you know whoever I mean, I got you, you, you know that I, I have a problem with all sorts of people. Believe me, it's not other people's problem. It's your problem. It's the same with churches. If you can't find a church that you feel comfortable with, go ahead, start your own. You think it's easy? Go ahead, start your own. That's what Shireen tells me when I come home grumbling about something. Well, why don't you start your own church? And then, then it'll be perfect, won't it, Mr. Perfect? Go ahead, start your own church. That's what she tells me. Then I get the picture. This is, this is what's before us. Jesus said, look, John the Baptist came, he said he has a demon. I came, he said I'm a glutton and a drunkard. What do you want? What do you want? What kind of preacher do you want? You've got all sorts of preachers. I mean, all different types of preachers. Those who do expository teaching, those who do topical teaching, those who just do uh, uh, um, feel-good preaching. Anything you got, anything you want, it's there. It's there. You've got masters in encouragement. You've got wonderful people preaching all over the place. And still believers aren't satisfied. And it's hard for them to get knit in and serve in a church. It's the believer's problem. Jesus is probably sitting there in heaven along with John the Baptist saying, we've given them a hundred choices now, John, and look at them. They're still not happy. What is it we want? What do we have to do before we're going to start following in the things of God and saying, God, I'm going to serve you in this place. I'm going to take hold of it and serve you in this place. And I've never, never been totally satisfied with a church that I've been in. Never. But every city that I've gone to, I've been a member of one church for the entire time I'm in that city. Now, I'm not saying that's always possible. I mean, the pastor might start going loony and you have to leave or something. But in every place that I've been, I've never been totally satisfied. But I've not left either. I've served in that place and I've honored my pastor and I've honored the leadership. And there is something to this, Jesus says. He says, what is it you want? And then finally he says, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. You think you're so smart? Let's see how well you minister. Let's see what you've done. You want to criticize the pastor? Let's compare. Let's compare to what he's done in his life in ministering to people to compare what you've done. Wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. You get in somewhere and you start to serve. 
You make your life a life of service and you'll be blessed. You bring blessing upon yourself, your own life, your own family, your children, your wife, your kids, everything by blessing and serving in a body of Christ. You bring blessings down upon your family. You also bring blessings upon your work. I am telling you, God has blessed my career so much because of my service to Him. I never should have gotten as far as I've gotten. I never should have. I've never been smart enough to do what I do. I look at this thing and I think, you know, people think my IQ is 80 points higher than it really is. They do. I never could have gotten into Rice. I can teach there, but I never could have gotten admitted as a student. It's never good enough. When I was coming out of uh, my postdoc, there were a bunch of us trying to compete for jobs. And, and, and uh, I remember the guys saying, how's Jim going to get a job when he's got to compete against this person and this person and this person? Because everybody coming out that year was really good. And I got job offers in the same places before they did, in every case. Because of God. God opens the door. You want to bring blessing down upon your life? Learn to serve Him. Learn to get plugged into a church and serve Him. And if you say you've got no time, you've got a problem. It's not a time problem. It's, it's, a, it, it, it's an emotional problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's a psychological problem. It's not a time problem. Students have time. You have time to dedicate a couple of hours each week to service to Him. You really do. And people who are starting a career, they think, well, you know, I had time as a student, you know, but now I'm an attorney in a law firm. I have no time. You have time. As an assistant professor, you know, people say, oh, assistant professors had no time. I had time to serve Him. I always had time to serve Him. And there is great blessing in service to Him. What is it that you want? You say, well, wait till I get tenure, then I'll serve him. And then wait till I become a full professor, then I serve him. And before you know it, retirement's upon you. And you haven't yet served him. And then you say, well, now my body's too weak, I haven't the strength to serve him. That's really what happens. That is the saga. You speak to some older people. And that is the saga. That is exactly what happens. And I, in, in a nutshell, I told you what happened. They defer this thing all the time. Until they feel their body has no more strength. And you know what happens? The people who have been serving Him all their lives, even when they're in their 80s, they're still out serving Him. Say, how do they do that? It's God's blessing and strength upon them. Serving. What is it you want? What do you want Jesus to do? What more would you like Jesus to do that He hasn't done for us? What more can He give? It says that God has given us His very own Son. Shall He not give us all things with Him? Everything we need, all the equipping we need for whatever service He calls us to is there. He brings us this huge platter. He says, this is the service you've got to do. I've taken and I've added a hundredfold to it. Here it is. And you're like, uh, well, I'm not sure that's enough. I need more. Because I really don't speak very well, you know. You guys say, oh, oh, here, let me pile on more speaking ability. Well, you, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of timid. All right, let me give you boldness here. And we always want more. And God brings it on a platter. And then finally He says, Wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Let me see you start doing something with what I've given you. This is what service to God is. He's given us everything. And wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the beauty of Your Word.
which cause us all the time to mourn. And Father, I pray that these words, that from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and men of violence take it by force, would resonate within these young hearts. That they would take this word and they would step out and do things and step out and accomplish things and step out and serve And Father, I pray that they would never forget the word that says, Blessed is he who does not become offended by me. Father, when they hear words, when these young people read the scriptures and hear your words, that they don't become offended. And when things hit them in their lives that they don't understand, they would not become offended at you, but they would trust. And Father, I pray, that when you present to them areas where they can serve and be useful in the body of Christ, they would not shrink back. That when you play the flute, that they would dance and not shrink back. That they would take hold of all that you have to offer. God, have mercy on their young hearts, I pray, and make them useful for your service. In the name of Jesus. Amen.